0: This is our Sunday evening service for the month of November and we shifted just a little bit because of uh, Daryl being in the area for Cam's Open House yesterday and this last week and I'm grateful that we were able to do that. Um, just as a bit of an introduction to Daryl, I um, I probably met him before but the one meeting that I remember specifically was back in... Um, 2002, three, four, somewhere around there, when uh, Lil and I were youth leaders and went with our youth chorus to Slanesville, West Virginia, for a, um, a chorus program. Do you remember that, Daryl? No. Okay, all right. Daryl was there that evening, had come up from uh, Mission Home, Virginia, and was there. And afterward, came up to me and wondered if Christian Aid ever had any... Uh, Opportunities or situations in Afghanistan, and that he had interests specifically in Afghanistan. And I said, "Well, we don't at the moment, but you know, I'd be happy to keep it in mind. If you, if we ever do, we'd be sure to reach out to you." 2005. Uh, don't remember the time of year. There was a pretty critical earthquake in Pakistan, and uh, immediately after that earthquake, uh, and I heard rumblings at Christian Aid that. Maybe there was some interest in going over and investigating and seeing if we couldn't do some kind of program. I told um, the people at CAM, I said, call Daryl. I'm pretty sure he'll be interested. Now, Pakistan wasn't Afghanistan, but uh, it was close. And uh, same people group, basically, and I was quite certain that Daryl would be interested Um, Some of you remember that there's a group of us from the church that went to Pakistan in 2006 then, in September, to uh, get involved in the project there and rebuilding. Daryl was there at the time, along with Reuben and Marianne Yoder and several others. They were actually the staff whose care we were under that um, evening where we kind of got chased and ran off. Uh, From that group, uh, Larry was along and... Are Tim's here? Is Tim here? Yeah, Tim was along. And then there were five others from the congregation here uh, that were along on that that trip. Very, very interesting trip. And and one we've never forgotten here, at least those of us that were on that trip. Uh, Since, Daryl has been very involved in both Pakistan and, and Afghanistan, and more recently in some of the projects that Cam has been doing in Afghanistan. And I just really appreciate his heart for the people there, Uh, When I knew he was coming for open house, I I really wanted him to come here this evening and share. So we're not having children's class now, but we are including something for the children kind of midway here. And Daryl will be introducing that, and we'll help the children come up at that point. So we'll keep that in mind. So Daryl, with that, why don't you come and go ahead and and share this evening. We're giving him the entire time, as much time as he wants. And um, so if there's any... uh, time left for singing, we may do a song or two, but we're pretty much uh, committed to having Daryl share, so God bless you.
1: Good evening. So, yeah, that, that was a, some interesting reminiscing for myself, actually, to go back and, and think about... Uh, About those earlier times and interest in Afghanistan, um, I guess just to demonstrate how, again, thinking about how God's timing works. So I had this interest in Afghanistan, and um, so I guess I talked with John about it, and uh, I had talked, I'm not sure if I mentioned it to someone else or not, but uh, as the case was, um, at some point, CAM told me, why don't you get a research team together and and go to Afghanistan, basically be journalists, see what you find, come back to us, and uh, report on what you find, so uh, I took their word at that, and uh, was looking for another fellow, and he was going to, we were going to be going, we even went to an Afghan conference together in Tennessee, Um, but lo and behold, I don't remember, what sticks in my mind is that there was a a tractor that sort of uh, blew, it didn't blow up, but Something happened to it, and it wasn't going to work for him to go. And I uh, tried someone else, and it didn't work. And finally, I was thinking, well, maybe I should just go myself. Uh, my parents weren't keen on that idea. They didn't think that would be a great idea to do. So um, so it didn't happen. And then along came the earthquake. And as exactly as John said, um, well, it's not Afghanistan, but it is pretty close. So, um, And interestingly enough, the way it turned out, the In Pakistan project closed. And then Cam said, hey, there's something to do in Afghanistan. Would you go? I was quite interested. And uh, wouldn't you know, my parents said, well, in that case, sure, that might that might be fine. They weren't too sure about it earlier, uh, at least according to the, the idea that was presented. And lo and behold, my parents themselves went uh, as house parents for about a month or a month and a half there at the end of the project in Afghanistan. So... You never know how things, how God will work things out. <clears throat> I appreciated the introduction that we had here. Um, those who were far off have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. That's fantastic. Um, interestingly enough, around the world, what I find fascinating is when uh, someone gets cut. Uh, the blood runs similar. It isn't green and blue and purple or, or black or whatever around the world or green. Uh, it's red, just like ours. And, uh, and wouldn't you know, when you, th- when you consider, uh, consider it, um, that man was made in the image of God, that includes the Afghans, just like us. And uh, so thank God we have um, same access to him. The presentation t- uh, tonight um, is on behalf of Christian Aid Ministries, and yes, as has been uh, introduced regarding Afghanistan. One of the things that I thought of in relation to Afghanistan, and I hope tonight, one thing that you'll go away with a couple things tonight. One of them, we want to shine a light into Afghanistan and see some different uh, pieces of it, maybe some things that are not readily seen when you read the news Um, but dive into a, a couple of things. But one of the things that's interesting is we think, one of the concepts we think about in the scripture as who we are to be is lights. We are to be lights. And what's interesting is there's evidence that there's now light emanating within Afghanistan. It's a very tight, closed, restricted access country, difficult for Christians um, one, of the more, one of the more difficult ones. But just to say, in um, John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then later he says, in John, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And that's a little interesting shift because he says, first he says, I am the light of the world. Then he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So it seems like there's a little shift, a little transition going on. And in Matthew 5, we know it well, he says, ye are the light of the world. So we now have responsibility um, to be lights in the world. Interestingly enough, um, we find that light... Is returning to Afghanistan. Um, I want to read you this. This is regarding a believer, and I hope to sprinkle in a few stories here as we go along because I want you to. Sometimes stories help us to understand scenarios of real people in real circumstances. This is someone who, a believer, who received goods, um, some assistance. I'm gonna call him Farouk, is the guardian of nine members of his family. He is very poor because since the Taliban came to Afghanistan, things have been very bad and that was in 2021, you may remember, when uh, the US left Afghanistan and the planes, big cargo planes were leaving and people were hanging on the planes desperately trying to leave. So he's talking about that. Since the Taliban came to Afghanistan, things have been very bad. He worries a lot about what to do. That's why he is always sick. Even though Farouk does not have a good economic situation, he works very hard in sharing and spreading his faith. How does he do it? Because this is Afghanistan. When we were buying his groceries, these were people who were with him providing, purchasing the assistance, he says... The shopkeeper praised him a lot and said that he has good morals and that he is always a role model for our people. And he is always helping to solve other people's problems. When we met him personally, he was very happy and had tears in his eyes. He said to his family, did I not tell you that God is with us in difficult situations? He prayed a lot with his family and we prayed for him. So we welcome you to Afghanistan. We're going to take a look at the people. We're going to hear about the hardships. And then also how you all and many others as supporters are making a difference for people in Afghanistan. And I hope that you will be able to feel as though you're understanding something more about Afghanistan. But like I want to remind you in the end, I hope that you will be encouraged to pray for the people of Afghanistan, and even maybe even more specifically and ardently, the believers in Afghanistan. So as regards the history of Afghanistan, um, it's, a long, it's a long history. Uh, various kingdoms ruled there over time. Islamization really took hold in the, in the country or in the area between the 10th and 12th centuries. So it's long. It's old. Islam is old in that place. Then the Soviet Union, lots of history came in there, but then more recently, the Soviet Union came in 1979 to Afghanistan. They invaded, and they were there for 10 years. They went back home. After they left, there were various Afghan factions who were fighting each other over control. You know, different warlords, as you may hear about, were attempting to take control of sections of Afghanistan. In Kabul, at one point, my understanding was that there were three different parties shooting down into, because it's surrounded by mountains, they were shooting down into the city from their different positions, bombing the city, bombing away, trying to gain control. Finally, this little band of people called the Taliban, which simply means student, they were religious students, they started shaking things up in the south of the country, moving north, and they took almost over, uh, took over almost the entire country, not quite all at that point. Then along came 9-11, and that really changed things up because al-Qaeda was in Afghanistan, bin Laden, uh, you know, there at some point, and so the U.S. went after Afghanistan. So now the U.S. is in Afghanistan. So it's faction after faction after country, fighting, trying to maybe, say, enforce peace. But how do you do that in Afghanistan? In 2021... 20 years later, the U.S. left, left in a hurry, and the Taliban, again, took control of the country, and they're in control now. That's the background. So to take just a little view of, to see where we're at in the world, what you're seeing is Afghanistan. I might point out the capital, Kabul here. Um, Over here, you have Pakistan running up along here and down. Over here, you have Iran on the west, down through here. And since you all have heard about the earthquakes in, uh, in Herat, I'll point that out. And that's over here on the west side. in this area is where, somewhere in that area is where the uh, earthquakes, the October earthquakes were. Um, and CAM is hoping to assist with that in that area as well. Uh, keep in mind, Keep the map, the map in the back of your mind because we also want to be talking a little bit about migration and refugees. Pakistan is over here. We want to talk about that. Iran is over here, and they're also, they also have a lot of Afghan refugees. Pakistan has like 1.7 million refugees, Afghan refugees. And Iran, I think, has over a million or so Afghan refugees. Some of them are seeking work. Some of them, you know, a essentially asylum to get away from whatever ruler in Afghanistan because it's very factious with different warlords and it gets very complicated. The last couple of years have witnessed a greater intensity of need with the Taliban um, coming into power. Um, a, lot of, a lot of questions um, that could be asked, kind of basic questions that, that can be asked. For people who are there in Afghanistan, especially in these days, and depending on what your political background and all these, we hope to go into that a little bit more, but things like, am I safe? Uh, Can I find food for today? Uh, Is there a job today? Where is my husband? Is he still alive? Is he in the jail? Who will go with me to the market today? And these are especially for the women. The women uh, usually need a male escort or they need a child um, that's old enough to go with them to the market. Otherwise, they can maybe be beaten or something like that. Will I be recognized as working for the U.S. Army or for a Western NGO or organization uh, or working for the prior government? Will I be discovered if I go out today? Will my friend or family member that I witnessed to or maybe shared a scripture with last month or last week, will he tattle on me to the Taliban, perhaps for a grievance he has against me or to settle or to gain favor or to get a reward? Questions that that might be roaming through their minds. This uh, Taliban soldier here, uh, is monitoring um, on his little badge here that you um, see here on the front. Uh, Allahu Akbar means uh, that's the common Islamic phrase, the rallying cry of the religious uh, fighters. Even the, even ISIS, for example, you know, uh, God is. It means God is great. Um, so they're not wearing a badge of. Uh, Afghanistan or a country, God is great. Um, and as I've heard from others, this was a, an ISIS friendly fellow, not in this country, but similar ideology, who was so happy and enthused that God is bringing his essentially, uh, he, he called it the dunya, means his world, his essentially what we would say his reign or his kingdom. We talk in such terms. He was doing the Muslim equivalent of that. Speaking of that, a very excited and enthused. And in his case, he was talking about Mosul and how God had basically brought Mosul you know, into his realm back in the fighting days. So these are the kinds of um, people that we're talking about. There tends to be less chaos and crime um, here in Afghanistan because of their strict measures. So if someone steals... Maybe they get their hand cut off or something like that. That that can happen. Um, And so they're very strict. And some people actually like it because crime level goes down. And some of them are so tired of the fighting and the factions. They just want a measure of peace, shall we call it. The economic sanctions um, are still in place by by the world. Um, And so... It is pretty difficult uh, as, as regards banking to operate in Afghanistan. So it's been a challenge for people to withdraw their money, to send money to Afghanistan and these things. So, But where does the dysfunction usually end up? With the common man, right? The Taliban, he can eat his fancy meals and find his ways and means maybe through other Middle Eastern countries, but the common man... He's the one who will tend to suffer. It's the nature of things. But in general, business um, is stifled, investment by companies, even foreign companies who used to be there. Many of them have left. So what is the result of these political challenges? You have things like instability, fear, like we mentioned, hunger, um, Education for girls after the sixth grade is finished. Uh, let me see. Do we have any sixth or seventh graders here tonight? Can you raise your hands so we can see who you are? Okay, sixth and seventh graders. Okay, so when you finished when you finished sixth grade, uh, your schooling stopped. If you're in seventh grade, you're not in school if you're in Afghanistan. So that's for the girls. Now, I'm understanding that depending where in which part of the country maybe you have uh, a governor or a warlord or someone like that who basically says, uh, "Go ahead." You know, that might happen. Otherwise, in most cases, done. Your schooling is done. Um, then you might have to worry about limited funds for your medicines or medicines for your your, your parents or something like that. There's also lack of trust. These are some of the challenges that come out of this. This is from Parisa, an unemployed former public servant in Kabul. She says, I used to set aside money for our winter expenses, because in winter you have more expenses there, but we have nothing. We eat only bread. We don't have enough money to buy fuel for the winter. And this comes from uh, the Azadi briefing um, from a formerly, uh, a former public servant. There's the issue of migration. And basically, some, many of these problems, these types of issues, whether it's hunger, instability, um, when the Taliban came into the country, many people fled, whether it's any of these kinds of things, migration is an issue. Leaving your place, leaving your town... Um, leaving gap, leaving um, what are your towns around here, uh, leaving them and going to it might be uh, more like you know relatively speaking more like Pittsburgh or or maybe you really go more toward Texas or something like that to a place you don 't know anything about you don 't know uh, the infrastructure or how are you going to get a job that 's what they do up and leave because they 're in fear for their life or What is the Taliban going to do to us? So they also like to go to a place where they can hide, as it were. So if you go to a big city, you're not known. Afghanistan is very tight, very cultural. So in a village, for example, you are very known. You stick out like a sore thumb, shall we say, because everyone in the village knows everyone there. You're probably all related. So if someone else comes driving in thinking they're going to hide in the village, no way. You're immediately known that you're not from that village. So you have to go to a large place to where there's not there's so many people you can hide. Um, of course, some people went to Pakistan. Um, uh, Pakistan and Iran. Um... Oh, there we go. Okay, that's what's up. All right. So some of them went to um, Pakistan, Iran, and and places like this to get away from the Taliban. This picture right here um, is actually in Pakistan, and these are Afghan refugees in Pakistan. What's unique about them is that they are believers. They are Christians. And uh, my family... um, got to go over there in December of 2021 and meet them and we actually went to a couple different groups to see about the assistance that was being provided to these migrants or to these refugees. We had um, a time there Merry Christmas and Happy New Year says the sign. Um, Got to have a service with them and it was very interesting to hear how they went, how they came out of uh, Afghanistan. So just to give you a little bit of idea, if you remember the, the map of Afghanistan, Pakistan is on the east-hand side. There were two border crossings that they would leave out of. One was in the soar- south, one was in the center of the country. And what they would do, it happened in various ways. Some people would go through the border crossing, the official border crossings, and then others you would maybe pay someone a guide to take you unofficially through the bush, through the, through the mountains, and you would come into Pakistan. Now you're in Pakistan, but you don't have a visa. So if you're caught by the police, and sometimes there's various checkpoints, if you come to a checkpoint and you get caught, that could be very, very bad, and you may be sent directly back to Afghanistan, which is where you don't want to go. Remember, these are believers, so they have that extra, that added concern if they're caught. They're not just Afghans, they're believers believing Afghans. So, one of the strategies that was used in order to get them successfully from the border areas, they would come from the border areas, and then there was a city they would come to. From that city, as I understand some of them anyway, would hire a bus, and that bus would come to a more central location of Pakistan where we visited them, but how to get through those checkpoints... So, as I understand, in the, middle, in, in, not in, in the Middle East as well, but in Central Asia and Pakistan and so forth, it's who you know, not so much what you know. This holds true right here. So, someone knew people, let's say, at the checkpoints or knew people who knew people at the checkpoints, and they made arrangements that were coming through. Now, I'm not sure how all those arrangements were made, but made, and so the bus went through checkpoint through checkpoint through checkpoint through checkpoint successfully otherwise um, there could have been big problems for them probably forced to go back to Afghanistan so one lady shared with us personally with Rhonda um, my wife who's here tonight uh, her uh, her experience so one lady said how she put a burqa on um, like that the blue burqa Many ladies wear that. We'll get there. So she put a burqa on, had her baby at the border, but unfortunately she did not have a male escort. So the Taliban, or I think it would have been the Taliban side, didn't want to let her go. So what to do? I guess God was looking out for her because there was an older man that came along, and I don't know, did he work there? Was he passing through? But he made some comments, something to the extent of, just let her go. She has a baby. Or something to the extent of, um, that she can go with me. It was something like that, and they let her go. Her husband, meanwhile, was in Pakistan already, so there was no escorting from the husband. And sure enough, they met each other successfully in Pakistan, and we, met, and we were able to meet them then. Some of these have managed to go on to Brazil. I think some of them have actually managed to come from Brazil to America. Um, I'll tell you a couple stories of believers because I want to gain, uh, open the window to what it's like to be a believer in Afghanistan. Um, something that we can pray about. So here's a story of an Afghan believer uh, whose wife was unhappy. The family we met was very nice. They had about uh, two or three something like that children um, met them in Pakistan went down uh, to their apartment very happy people um, and I, I it seemed like very thankful people too. so they were sharing this they shared the story with us, and the husband related how well, and the husband and wife together related how the husband. There came a time where the husband was on his phone a lot, he had a smartphone, and he was on his phone, and he was doing. Yeah, he was spending lots of time on his phone, and she wasn't sure what was going on. Interestingly enough, he was reading the scriptures on his phone, spending a lot of time at it, and over time, he came to faith in Christ. Well, she didn't know that. And he, she thought that maybe he was spending time on his phone with a girlfriend or girlfriends or something like this. And she was not very happy. She, this was disturbing her. And finally, um, the husband, as I remember the story, shared with his wife the change that had come in his faith in Christ. And she had seen this. The wife had seen that. He was, something, was, something was different. And so finally she came to understand uh, what he was doing reading the scriptures, and she, did, and she came to faith in Christ as well. And now they have a happy family with a few children. There's another story that was relayed to us, um, again, about Afghanistan and about the challenge of being, uh, being Christians in Afghanistan. How does this work? Because most of these the Christians are very, um, you could say, silent about their faith, so that they can manage in their, in their communities. Remember, if they live in a village, everyone knows everyone. So if you come to know that someone has come to faith, well, then the entire community can know that, and then they can all make a big problem anywhere from death to um, running them out or whatever the case may be. Okay, so generally they tend to wait until they feel the time is right to share their faith with someone. So in this case, it's husband and wife. A husband and the wife both began seeking God. I'm not sure all the background of it, but eventually they both came to faith in Christ. And both of them wanted to share with their spouse what had happened. Both were believers. Both wanted to tell their spouse what had happened to them, and neither of them did. So they kept going on their tracks, trying to wait for the right time to tell their spouse what had happened and Finally, one of them, I guess, decided the time was fine, and they learned that they had both <laughs> that they were both believers so this is a bit of the uh, challenge of um, living in Afghanistan. <clears throat> so we talked about migration um, and we'll talked just a little bit more about that but Pakistan wants to return 1.7 million uh, refugees, like I mentioned, Afghan refugees, back to Afghanistan. So these people, if you keep in mind, these were people who would have left as long as even even more than 40 years ago, like when the Soviet Union came in 1979. Some of these are very old uh, refugees, um, have been born in Pakistan, have raised families in Pakistan. And Pakistan is saying, okay, y'all, you illegal ones, you can go home now. Where do you put 1.7 million people? Not not 1,000 people. 1. 1.7 million. Um, like if there's no if there's no houses to return to, if there's not a property to, to to reclaim, or the property has been claimed, where do you go? So this is a this is a great challenge. Um, they had a November 1st deadline. Some of you may have seen this in the news um, that Pakistan is asking the Afghans to the illegal ones to leave. And they had a November 1st deadline. I think only about 4,000 families returned by that, by that deadline. And, yeah, the question is, where will they go? There's talk of a camp, but who's going to support the camp? Um, one report was, um, said that 200,000 Afghans have left Pakistan in recent weeks, 200,000 of them and there's expected uh, to be more of them. They said there's up to 10,000 Afghans crossing the eastern border into Afghanistan every day, 10,000. So if you think of a mass of 10,000 coming in the next morning and the next day another and then the next day another, are you going to have camps of 10,000? 10,000 alone is a lot of people, so if you will have camps of 10,000 until you have 1.7 million That's a lot of camps. Now, some of them will go to relatives and so forth, but the challenge I think you understand. They're talking about camps, but the question is, can the Taliban support the camps with food, water, sanitation, all of these sorts of things? And any of you who have been to a camp understand the complexity um, of keeping all of the water supplied, uh, waste, all of these things... In order. Then if winter comes, you need to keep them warm so they don't all freeze. And that's what we've got right now is winter uh, coming. So within Afghanistan, you have uh, people fleeing to other places like Kabul, the capital city. And like I mentioned, this is um, a place where a lot of them go and a lot of them came to in 2021 when the Taliban came. Uh, again, because they maybe worked with the former government. Maybe they were a police officer. Maybe they worked in a government office somewhere. Um, maybe it's because they don't want someone to know that their Islamic faith is in question, like they're unsure of their faith, or that a relative has done something against the Taliban, and so you never know. You're not sure. Well, then, safest route is you better leave your village and go to Kabul. And so the city of Kabul continues to grow up the mountainsides. But again, think in your mind what it's like to be a displaced person, come to Kabul. You don't have just yourself. You have your family. And you come to the entrance of the city. You have only so much money because you're not wealthy in Afghanistan. Most people are not wealthy in Afghanistan. You're just surviving. Um, So you come there. Now where do you go? If you have relatives, good. That may only last for so for so long, and then you have to go somewhere else. If you don't have relatives, you better find a spot. So, this family here—it looks like they have found um, a tarp, uh, a blanket. Um, they have some string there to hang up their clothes. They probably means they have a bowl to wash their clothes and a few things like that, and they're managing. But it's winter, uh, or cold weather here, and muddy, and just. Very challenging, so you get the picture. Like I said, some people go to their families and spend time with them. Um, Some people lived in parks at the beginning of their time. So one could ask the question what sort of disruptions have these people faced? Women and children, in particular, men, it's maybe a little easier to deal with these things and find our way through, but women and children, where are they going to reside? How are they going to support their family, like, say, making food, cooking, uh, washing clothes? You need a place. So what sorts of trauma and disruption happens do you have when you quickly flee for your life? And then, of course, the fathers have to find uh, a job somewhere, and that can be very challenging because again, it's not like, well, go get a job. You can do it. Uh, it's not like that, unfortunately. Um, these people, so many of these people would just so much like to have a job. But, like I mentioned earlier, you need businesses to create jobs so they can hire people so that those people can then have money to go out and buy the food. There's food available, there's food available in the, in the markets. It's both raised in Afghanistan, and if there's lack, it's brought in from Pakistan and Iran. So food is not an issue. The issue is is that you walk past the food and look at it because you don't have money. Or you beg. Or it might enter your mind whether you should, you know, sin against God and steal. What do you do? Um, so they weigh these matters of what to do. Some people construct are able to construct something like this little hamlet, and if you look in the distance here, this is Kabul, uh, uh, as I understand, as I believe here. It's what it looks like to me. But here on this hillside, you can see it up around over here on this hillside and, of course, down in the valley. Um, They basically build up the sides, but that doesn't mean you take your car and drive the smooth highway up to your house, it means that you have to walk this trail and that trail and these steps up and up and up and up the mountain because that's where there's land available and maybe rocks available to build your house. When you go to work, you have a long you, you may have a very long distance. So I'm going to read the story of um, a man who went to work, or who's searching for work. He goes to Pakistan and returns with no money. He says, "Uh, my name is Ahmad. I have six children, and I am living in a certain district of the province. I used to work in a brick factory, but under the current government, construction works have stopped because no one buys bricks. Finally, the owner of the brick factory got into a lot of debt and closed the factory, and we all became unemployed. Now it's certain. I tried hard to find a job, but everywhere I went, I didn't find a job. Currently, I am working as a daily wage worker for very little money because I have no other choice. These days, day work is sometimes available, but most of the time it is not found. A few months ago, I went to Pakistan for work, and there I worked in a brick factory. Remember, he does—he knows how to make bricks. I worked for around 15 days when the Pakistani police arrested me and many other Afghans and put us in jail because we all did not have passports and visas. For two months, we were in Pakistani prison. All the money we received was taken from us, and finally they brought us across the Afghanistan border. Currently, we are facing a lot of problems. Sometimes we have our own bread, and most of the time we cannot find anything to eat. And then he goes on to uh, express his gratefulness um, to those who were there giving him the food that had been funded by Cam. And he says, To those who help in this way, may God bless you and all kind-hearted people who have still remembered us. You heard about this example, the brick man. And he tried to find daily work. This is an example of a daily worker. Um, You get a wheelbarrow. You have a shovel. You have some manual piece of equipment, perhaps. And you try to uh, find people who need you to do that kind of work. So many are daily laborers. If there's something to do, they they take home money for some bread. If not, they may be hungry that day. In this case right here, um, it's distribution day, uh, distribution for the packages, and so these people are happy. They have work today. But if economic activity is down, there tends to be less work for more workers, unfortunately. I mentioned about the economic sanctions and how it affects people, um, it's, it's very, very challenging um, to read you um, the story of one who, if I can find it here. I will tell it to you. So there was a lady who, um, whose father, as I, rem- I mean, whose husband, uh, I think had been killed um, or something like that. And she no longer had a means of support for herself. And out of desperation, she had a kidney removed, which is one of the ways that people over there, when they're very desperate for money, sell so she sold her kidney and she said we ate off of that the money from that for some days I think is how she said and then again we had no money and they were in hunger and at the right time the food parcel came to them and she was so thankful because now they can eat but you can understand that God didn't make us with new growth kidneys. There's, there's two, and she sold one. Um, these are the challenges that they face. Another, uh, Some people talk about selling furniture from their house, but furniture doesn't reproduce either. So once again, you sell furniture, the furniture is finished, next... Still got to eat. The UN has said, United Nations has said that half of all Afghan families are living in a crisis coping mode to survive. There are about 41 million Afghans in Afghanistan, and it is said that around 90%, 90%, is that figure accurate? But maybe, as the UN says, are food insecure. So something of the idea that maybe they mostly sometimes have enough, but not necessarily always, or it's at least insecure. Uh, so challenging scenario there. All right, we're going to shift just a little bit, and I'd like to have um, opportunity for the children to come up. And you can all come up now and uh, sit in the, the front bench benches here. Very good. Okay. Well, welcome to Afghanistan. You've you've been getting some uh, views of Afghanistan, and you've been hearing a little bit about what life is like, right? What? Maybe someone wants to tell me what you have heard about what it's like for children. What do you think it might be like for children in Afghanistan? Anyone want to venture? from what you've seen so far? What do you think? What do the children do there? Any ideas? Do you think they go to school? Uh Huh. Okay. Uh, Some of them do, but you're right. Some (coughs) of them do not go to school. All right. What else do they do? Do you think they play? They play there but you might want to think about it y'all are friends right you have your friends sitting here you go to school with them when you're old enough or you go to sunday school together or maybe your cousins and you and play me together in the class good class. okay that's a good example so you go to class together and so you're friends. Now, what you what what you can expect is the next time that you go to a certain place, maybe when you go to their house, you see them again. Yes. Yay, we're gonna go and see my friends. So. Okay, good. So you look forward to seeing them again. Well in Afghanistan sometimes the families will move. Let's say your family, your parents say, you know what? Tonight, at 10 o'clock in the night when it's dark, we're going to get in the truck or we're going to get in the bus and we're going to another place. And you say, oh, where are we going? Oh, well, what about my friend? What about my school friend? What about when the, the one I went to Sunday school with? What's going to happen? But your parents said, we're going to go. And so... The next day and the next day you say, oh, where are my friends? When are we going to go back? Right? Because you want to go back to your home and you want to go back and you want to see your friends. But sometimes they go very far away. They go to another country like Mexico or Canada or something like this. Far, far away and you can't see them. This is what happens to children in Afghanistan. So now I'm going to show you a picture here Of a girl, this girl lives in Afghanistan too, and I'm not sure of her background, but I think probably she will be one of those who had to move also. So I want you to, I want to read her story to you, okay? The story of this girl. Okay, I'm going to call her name Fazia. It's a little bit different, right? A little bit different than names that we're used to. But we'll call her Fazia. And she says, I am the daughter of Hakim Saib, means like Hakim Sir, like we say Sir and Ma'am like that. Hakim Saib. I have two brothers. And three sisters. She says, My father is a famous singer. He knows how to sing very well, and so he would sing for people, like at the weddings and this kind of thing, he would sing. But since the Taliban regime came, or the Taliban government came to Afghanistan, music has been banned in Afghanistan. It means you may not, the Taliban says, you may not have music anymore. They may not have music anymore. You might not sing anymore. So this is the problem. So what to do if you can't sing anymore? And that is your business. So they had a certain amount of money. They had a little bit of money. And a friend helped them. And with the help of the friend, the father started buying and selling things in the market. So he would buy maybe vegetables from someone. And then he would go to his house or another part of the city, and he would sell the vegetables, and he would make some money, and then he could buy some food. But, unfortunately, he lost money. That's a problem, because then you can't buy food. So, they slowly used up all the money that they had in the house, and then they started selling their furniture. Now, if you think about it in your house, you have different kinds of furniture. Um, Can you tell me, what are some different kinds of furniture that you have in your house yes couch Couch. yes chairs Chairs. yes bed Bed. yes fireplace Fireplace. okay and it's able Mm -hmm. what else okay okay good you have food what other things okay go ahead Okay, you've got a stove. You've got appliances, right?
0: Hmm.
1: But wait a minute. What happens if you sell the bed? If you sell the bed, where are you going to sleep? on a mattress
0: or something?
1: Hmm, on a mattress. But you know what? In Afghanistan, most of the bed furnishings are usually only a mattress anyway. Usually, they don't have beds like we're used to. So maybe they sold the mattress. Maybe they kept a few. But yeah, good point. Okay. Uh, but then you have to sleep on the floor. Maybe it's very hard. And maybe it's cold because you sold the bed. I sleep on the bed a Ah, that would be a problem, right? Sometimes so. when people come to their house, uh, I have to sleep on the floor sometimes. There you go. Okay. So something like that. Now, what if you sell the table? Then what happens? You have guests over and... Okay. Have any food. Yeah, don't have your food. Where are you going to put it, right? You got it. Then you have to eat on the floor. I, 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 uh, What's that? A stove. a stove. So if you sell the stove, that's also a problem because how are you going to cook? Actually, they usually cook with different stoves. They usually cook with firewood, sometimes outside. But now you have the idea. If you have furniture but you sell it, now you don't have it anymore, you can't use it, and it doesn't help you anymore. Now you have money. That's good. Now with money, you can go to the store and you can buy food. Now you're not hungry anymore. Okay, that's great. But if you don't have work, you use this for some days. One day you take and you spend some money and buy some food, good. Now the next day you spend some more and now you have a little bit less money and you have food. Finally, your money is finished. You say, Daddy, I need more money to go to the store and get some food. And your dad says, I don't have any more. Now what do you do? This is a problem. So they used up all the money, and then they started selling the household items, and that was finished. So one day, my father... This is uh, Fazia speaking. My father went to sing in a home gathering. So he said, I will sing. I'm not supposed to, but I will sing. And the, the Taliban came in that gathering, and they broke all the instruments. Like if it was a piano or guitar or something, like. they broke them. They smashed them. And they said, no, you may not have these things, because we said no. So they smashed them. Now they don't have the instruments, and they beat the father. They beat Fazia's father. After they beat him and they broke the stuff, my father became ill. When he remembers these things, he cries. Now my mother and I okay, this is Fazia speaking. My mother and I secretly beg. Because they want they, they need they have to beg. Do you know what begging is? Do you know what begging is? Okay, what is begging? You ask people for money. money. Right. You might ask them for money or you might ask them for food. May I have some money? Can you give me some money? Can you give me some food? So her and her mother secretly, because they don't want to be seen, because all the other people know them. So they don't want to do it in front of everybody. So they secretly beg for money to get the food. And the treatment for her father. Okay? Now, a few days ago, we were informed that the local organization helps the needy. My mother and I also came to their office. They heard our cry. Fortunately, they heard our cry and visited our house. When they saw my father's condition, they were also sad. Fortunately, now listen very closely. This is Fazia. This is Fazia speaking. And they got the food from the organization. And this is from, let's say, funds from Christian Aid that came over there. And what does she say? She says, fortunately, today we received enough food items, enough food from the kind people. I am very happy that I will not go begging for a few days. And I will play with my sister's. So before, she had to go begging and ask people, will you give me some money? Will you give me some money? Will you give me some... And lots of people probably say, no, no. It's very difficult. And then the food came, and she said, I'm so happy, now I don't have to beg for a while. And I can play with my sisters. We play with our brothers and sisters all the time. We don't think about it. Mm -hmm. But now... Okay, good. And our, our, oh, we have Good job. All right. So, let's remember, I'd like for you to remember Fazia's story, okay? Fazia is this girl here. She lives in Afghanistan. Maybe her father wore some stuff like this. I wanted you to see how does it look with real clothes. This was given to me by a man in Afghanistan. He said, this is my gift, uh, his gift uh, to me uh, for coming. And then uh, this hat and this... I bought in Afghanistan, so they are Afghan. Okay, uh, what I'd like for you to do is thank God. When you go back home, maybe you look in the closet in the food pantry, and you thank God for all the food that you have, and, um, and remember to give thanks, and remember to pray for people like Fazia who are still in Afghanistan and they still need food, all right? Let me go back to your parents. Fozzie is one of many. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, I'd like to, I'm going to try to um, have a little bit of time at the end for questions, so you can keep that in mind. This family here manages, if you look there in the back corner, manages to have a few chicks and a chicken. So this helps them at least a little bit. And you'll note uh, the dirt sidewall going around for as a barrier for their little tent structure. Um, A lady like this, she may have no husband, she might be a widow, um, unknown, but there are plenty of these people who don't have a husband anymore because of war or something like this. Or maybe he's over in Iran or Pakistan trying to earn enough money to send it back so they can survive. The Taliban um, are known for their Islamic uh, radicalism and they do try to increase uh, religious adherence to Islam. They have tried to reinstate a form, essentially a form of Sharia law or Islamic law. They're not quite as strict as they were in 1996, but they still are quite strict. Um, overall, the Taliban is very uh, suspicious of NGOs and their activities. Now, this fellow here in the back, um, this fellow right here, is um, a Taliban observer. He is watching to see that things are going as they should. What's interesting about this is at first you would say, why do they have to do that? They shouldn't need to do that. You know, it's, but interestingly enough, what happens is they have observed the selection of recipients. They observe the distribution and they deserve, uh, observe the, let's say, the, the attempt to go straight instead of crooked. You know, like do crooked activities or corruption or things like this, and so they have to think these people are doing something straight. It's a testimony. There's also a trend to discover um, Afghan believers. It's like in the beginning of their takeover of Afghanistan, the the Taliban were very occupied with governance and trying to figure out how they're going to govern the country. What's really fascinating is the Taliban are fighters. That's their, that's their work. That was their job. They know how to do that. But now, guess what? They're in their cars, and they're getting stuck in traffic jams going to their work, sitting behind an office. And they know how to fight, not sit in traffic jams. So it's a little bit of a new thing to know how to manage all these new things. And they have music and all these things in Kabul, and they're trying to figure out what, how should they do, what should they not do. It's very interesting um, uh, issue that they have to deal with, and so they have to actually be seeking and searching, and maybe in these ways, in these times, there may be openings for them for truth. In ways that God can, in ways that God can do. So, as I said, Afghan believers tend to be very discreet about their faith and wait for a good time. There is persecution. The church is growing. Um, the way most of these um, groups work is that. Someone witnesses to another, that person becomes a believer. They witness to others, and eventually there are more in their group. So their group is known. It is not the kind of thing where someone goes out, uh, you know, someone from outside, let's say from America, says, hey, I know someone who is coming back to Afghanistan, and he's a Christian. Can you take him in your group? No, they won't do that, or very unlikely to do so. Because they don't know them. Are they for real? Are they a spy? Will they expose the entire group? So they're very careful about this. Um, They may even say, start your own. Start your own group. Women are disallowed from working many jobs, especially since the Taliban came in, and many of them, like let's say only health jobs, certain health jobs, maybe a few education jobs, are they allowed to help with. Maybe some of them get by like this, like this uh, lady here who is shining shoes. And there are many disabled in Afghanistan from the conflict ordinance and so forth that has not been exploded. I told you um, about the Herat earthquakes, and you may have read about them. There were three, maybe four, uh, 6.3. And it was interesting. I think, as I understand, all three were 6.3 on the Richter scale within a period of eight days. Um, So you can imagine how much shaking was going on and how rattled people were. If you have one 6.3 earthquake and your house comes down and a few days later you have another one of the same magnitude and within eight days you have three plus aftershocks, that's a very shaking experience um, to have. And so Mm -hmm. Afghanistan is is prone to, to natural disasters, um, floods and so forth, and so there are times when we can assist with that. Entire villages tended to be destroyed. Um, it's estimated that 90% of those who died were women and children and around 3,000 dead. Um, we hope that maybe we can get into an area. Um, actually, there's an, a, a district called, I think it's a district called Injeel, Injeel district. Injeel means... or is used as the word for New Testament. And one can say, in Afghanistan, how ever could it happen that there's a a district called Injil? Well, Christianity was here, as we talked about, and apparently the name has survived. And so there are Muslims living in New Testament district. And in one of these areas here, this district is one of those affected by the earthquake. So we're hoping maybe we can get into some of these areas Winter is extra hard for people, um, like I mentioned, with need for heating fuels and so forth. Um, Maybe I'll read just a little bit of this fellow's story. Um, Cam has been providing aid uh, last winter to 10,000 families, and there's another um, almost twice that amount that we plan to do in 2023 in the summer and then rest of this year. This, This fellow here... Um, was selling plastic bags. He says, "My little brother and I work and sell plastic bags in the market. We earn 50 to 100 Afghanis daily, with which we buy bread for my family. 50 to 100 Afghanis. That's um, it's about 75 Afghanis make one dollar, so about 75 or 80 cents to um, something over a dollar that they make in one day. Um, the two of them, and they buy bread for the family. For the cooking, they use old plastic and paper." to cook the food and tea because we cannot afford to buy firewood. My father worked as a sweeper and had a good salary. One day he was hit with a mine explosion and lost both his legs. He said he's enthusiastic and interested in school and studies and want to become a doctor, but because of his father's condition, he has to search for plastic so they have enough to uh, feed the family. These girls got uh, blankets with the uh, winter wear. Uh, They got winter wear with blankets and food packages um, in early part of this year. Here's a scene um, at a distribution of packages, goods that are being distributed. Um, It can be quite interesting to see all this happen. Twice now I've been on a video call where I've uh, dialed in and I've watched a distribution. It's quite noisy and... uh, And there's more people there to get a package than there are packages for, unfortunately. And they may plead and beg, but uh, I think one time they did a distribution, and there were so many people saying, please, please at least put my name on a list. Just put my name on a list. I will be on a list. Even I can't have food at this distribution, but please put my name on a list. And I think they had, it was a a wild figure, I think it was like 10,000 or something like that that they had. And... Of course, they could maybe work off of those names in the future. But this is the example of desperation. We are planning for winter distribution or winter assistance um, later this year, and hopefully, maybe another year as well. This is a uh, Taliban, uh, same one that I pointed out before. A little better view of him um, sitting there, making, um, monitoring the effort, making sure everything goes fine. Um, This lady is receiving her goods, and it should last for one month. Uh, This, um, I will mention that, as I mentioned, there are Afghan believers, and we have had an opportunity to directly assist Afghan believers uh, there in Afghanistan. This is often in the form of food, but then also sometimes blankets and heating and cooking fuel. And, again, all of this has to be done wisely so we don't expose the group's and make them known to other people. Livelihood assistance is another thing that we uh, Cam has been working on. Um, I believe there are around 280 families that receive livelihood assistance in different ways, like animals. Um, one was a barber, um, and so forth. These are people who had received aid before; um, were very poor. And they were chosen as a way to um, hopefully get them out of the cycle of poverty. Um, The contact said they expressed that relief assistance helped them to survive for a short period. So a food package helped them for a short period. This help will help them to sustain their lives, and they look forward into the future with much hope. Then there's others who start other small businesses, like this uh, blacksmith the beneficiaries are grateful to the organization and God for the support extended which will help them to sustain their lives. There's training to help them make that aid enduring so they don't just get this assistance, livelihood assistance, and lose it. The contact said all the beneficiaries were happy about the training they have received. There's also microbusiness opportunity for believers. And uh, there was a test done with 12 families where a small amount of money was given to them along with the food package uh, to see if they could make a business go and whether, they, and whether they could survive off of it. Twelve families were tested, and they all were uh, surviving on the money that they made after six months. And so another 22 are being tested. This lady was able to buy what she needs for a pickling business, and she has contract with restaurant and hotel and is able to sell this in the market. So why should we assist in Afghanistan? Does it really make a difference? As I think you have the idea, there are so many poor people. What difference does it make? Or where do we start what to do? Well, people do need help. It does assist believers. The other thing is that times of great distress offer a way to... Be a neighbor to those people. And it's like a ripple. Perhaps those can go out and out and out. The contact that we have working in Afghanistan told us that sometimes they're not able to say publicly, this assistance comes to you, like in the public distributions, like, like what you're seeing here. This assistance does um, comes to you from the Christians or the churches. No, they can't do that. It would be very, very bad. But what they can do, and they sometimes they do, is they will tell a lady who is there and receives something, they will tell her where this assistance comes from. And then the lady can go and talk about it to her friends. Hey, I got some assistance, and this is where it comes from. And the word can get around that way. And it is a way, a way to point, to show, it is a way to show another way for those who religiously disaffected This lady said, I was informed that this excellent help was sent to us by the Christian people. Please convey my message and thank them very much for not forgetting us and still helping us. I could read you more stories, but in general, the sentiment of them, of the stories, is that they were in a despairing situation. The lady with the kidney, for example, who sold it. uh, People who are selling their furniture. um, One thing and another, and here comes the food package, and finally they can breathe, and they can buy medicines. So I want to thank you uh for your support support of christian aid support of the afghans and it's something that we can do together in being a light and i will just add that of course assistance in these sorts of ways can be ways to start making cracks to start entering light for people to ask questions and say where is this coming from who are the people behind it who cares someone must care see there's questions that can begin to be to be thought about and it might be thought about for years until someone else comes and something else happens or there's a bible shared or something like this and then it can begin to come together so it's pieces ask you to pray for afghanistan um, the people and the believers are there any questions Home is uh, currently in Texas. Um, we are living in McAllen, Texas, um, involved in border work. But Town is our address, Town, PA. Yes? What percentage of the Afghanis are Muslim? What of the Afghanis are Muslim? Um, I would have to estimate that it's, if it's not 99%, it has to be pretty pretty close. I think there are a few, maybe Hindus or Buddhists, and then a small number of Christians. Almost all are Muslim. You mean like buildings, or do you mean like functioning, like people going to churches? There, to my knowledge, it is still the case and has been for n- a 40 I'm not sure how long, maybe 30 some years maybe longer than that, that there's no Christian church in Afghanistan now are there physical structures Uh, I'm actually not aware that there are, Um, however I would have to think that there would be places that, where they would Maybe even know because they they have they have a long history a long oral history and they may know that there was once something there. But as far as physical structures, I'm not aware of it. And as far as gatherings where people know that Christians are gathering in this place as a church, that's non-existent. Except for the fact that in former days, when I went to visit in 2007, there was a building where the expats met. So that was the closest thing to the only, you could say, church. Now there's gatherings of people, but, the, yeah. Daniel? In the distribution of clothes, does that identify anybody in a negative way when they wear these Western clothes? Right, yeah, good question. Do these these sorts of clothes, when it's given to them, identify them in a negative way? Um I think primarily what is given out is outerwear and probably, most likely, these were actually bought either locally or in an adjoining country, but probably within Afghanistan. And most of these clothes would be from uh, China and so forth. I'm talking like the coats and jackets and so forth. So um, probably not. It probably is not uh, standing out in that respect. That was the last time in 2007. Um, I was there twice, Uh, early 2007 for the research portion, and then um, three months. I was there, it was about a month or so in between, and then I was there for three months. Um, And that was in the northern part of Afghanistan, Kabul for a little bit, but then in the northern part. So I am interested. I would like to return. Um, I think there's a general consensus that maybe it's not time yet, but. There are a few Westerners living in Afghanistan, but um, they're observed and they have to be thoughtful about what they do. Because basically, if you're a Westerner, in their mind, you're a Christian. And what does a Christian do? Christian things and spread Christian ideas. Therefore, we have to watch them. Yeah, that's a good question. So how does CAM find contacts in Afghanistan with whom they can work without raising suspicion? Um, It can be a bit of a slow process, but it's sort of like this thing that I mentioned before of people knowing people. So even in Afghanistan, it basically works this way that if I know you and he is my friend and we consider each other on the same page, then you, for example, can intersect with him and not know me, but know that because you know him and who he is, you will know how I am. Um, And so that's kind of like a sort of starting point. But then, so there's other people who know people, and then it's like those people know yet other people and then you connect with them and so things like verification for example, like did this did these goods, these food goods, actually get to these believers in that city? So that's a question. And so there's an attempt made to verify through people outside who used to be inside and basically know all the people in that group. And then and there's so there's different people. This person knows the people of this group. This person knows the people in that city. And so you say, person, do you, do you check and find out if this assistance came? And so he can randomly check with this person and this person. Did you receive these goods and how much did you receive? And he can verify that it's come. So <laughs> it's a bit complicated. But um, seems to be possible. All right? anyone else? Right, thank you very much. Um, I'll turn the time back.